glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. First John chapter 4 beginning verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit. If there was any time that we need to think about this verse, I think now is a time to really hone in on what is said right here. Beloved, believe not every spirit. You know what God's telling us? Don't be spiritually gullible. Don't just believe everything you hear that is spiritual, okay? Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Here's why. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now again, in weeks to come, we'll say more about the following verses, but I just want for tonight our folks to be back on verse 1 when he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Here's why I need to say this to you. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. False prophets have a false spirit. It's interesting to me, though, he doesn't just say, Beloved, believe not every message. He doesn't just say, Beloved, believe not every person. He says, Believe not every spirit. Here's why. Someone who is of a, has the spirit of Antichrist can craft their message in such a way that it sounds true. So you need to get below that and say, What kind of spirit is promoting that message? I preached back earlier this year out of this text surrounding all the things that are going on in our world right now. And here's what I would say. There's a number of things this past year surrounding the COVID-19 and all that that you couldn't put your finger on and say that is inherently evil. But the spirit that has pushed it is. I can tell you this. It is not inherently evil to put a catalytic converter on your car. But the spirit that is promoting the doctrine of global warming is evil. You know why? Because it's a lie. Anything that is a spirit of deception or generated by a spirit of fear is not of God. Can can we all take a vote tonight? Has the response to COVID-19 been a spirit of confidence and trust in God or a spirit of fear and unbelief? The same people, generally speaking, the same people that promote the theory of evolution, the same people that promote the abortion of babies, and the same people that say we've got to save the world from climate change are the same ones that have promoted the narrative that's driving the world's response to what's taking place over the last year. And so we must understand there may not be anything inherently wrong with some of the messages you're hearing. There's nothing wrong. Messages. And I'm not going to preach about COVID-19. I'm trying to illustrate something. Is there anything wrong with trying to protect someone else's health? Well, of course not. But isn't there something wrong with someone who believes in chopping a little child to pieces, telling us to preserve someone else's health? Wouldn't you say, Dr. Fauci, is he pro-abortion or not? Absolutely. 
Does that man actually believe in promoting and caring for the health of others? No. So it's not wrong to say, hey, let's don't spread disease and sickness. I'm all for that. But when it comes from the mouth of a man that does not practice what he preaches, something, especially when it's not only I'm okay with this, but promoting a culture of death in every other facet of his life, that's called a spirit of deception. <laughs> Try the spirit. I understand the messaging. Today I was in Missoula passing through. Man, there's signs everywhere. Protect one another's health. Prevent COVID-19. Wear a mask. Social distance. All of that makes me go, and again, I'm not against, is there any, there's nothing inherently wrong with wearing a mask. There's nothing inherently wrong with staying six feet away from somebody or staying home if you're running a fever. That's all good. But what's behind it is a false spirit. And again, I don't, I, it's a good illustration because the applications will be numerous. In our lives, the applications will be numerous. You're going to hear people speak and teach and preach things about how to be a Christian. And what they're going to do is you're going to hear their message. You're going to say, well, that sounds right. So, for instance, the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, is it not? How many of you have people, seen people in the name of Christianity get so terrified over their physical health they stop coming to church? Yeah. That's not the spirit of faith. That's a spirit of fear. And so I'm trying to say the applications can be numerous, but the principle is the same. He says you're going to have to try every. Spirit, what is the disposition behind the message you're hearing? What is the heart, if you would? What's the heart behind this? You have to try that, and he'll give us rules by which to test and try it. But he says, here's why, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now, this question, uh, he says many have gone out into the world. Paul says evil seducers and deceivers will wax Worse and worse. So John wrote this a little under 2,000 years ago. And if it's, there were many then, it's going to get worse and worse. We can assume today that the problem of false prophets is profound. They are, there are many. I believe with all of my heart, there are more false preachers, teachers, or false prophets than true ones. I don't only believe there's more. I believe by proportion there are abundantly more false ones than true ones. And you need to, when you're going to hear somebody that's going to teach you about God or give you some level of input in your thinking about your relationship with your Heavenly Father, you need to understand the probability of a false prophet touching your life is extremely high. You're going to. You're going to encounter them. They're on the Internet. They're on the radio. They're in books. They're in writing. All these things. They're in pulpits. They pastor churches, no doubt. And Sunday school classrooms are sometimes just on the pew. But John says, I've got to warn you about not believing every spirit. You just can't believe everything you hear because many false prophets are going out in the world. So having said that, we're going to hone in on just three simple things about false prophets. As we look at these various verses, I'm going to give you these things. And you're aware of them. This is nothing new, but it needs to be a refresher to us. And what I want to encourage you to do is take what you're hearing, and then I want you to assess and evaluate the people that have input spiritually into your life. So when I say that, I mean who you're reading, who you're listening to, uh, who you're watching on YouTube, who you are uh, following on uh, social media, whatever your influence podcast, whatever it may be, you need to take what you're hearing tonight, 
whether it's that or a preacher that may stand in this pulpit, I, by God's grace, will do everything in my power to keep false prophets out there, not in here. But it's our job to prove all things. It's not just that it is primarily. When it comes to the church, that's my job, and I take that very seriously. But in your life, the only influence in your life spiritually is not the guy preaching tonight. There are many voices, 1 Corinthians 14 says, and none of them is without signification. And so then we need to be discerning spiritually of what we're hearing and who's influencing our lives in regard to our spiritual state. Because here's what happens. If some false prophet who is clever begins to influence you, he will rob you of your fellowship with God, rob you of your spiritual strength, and spoil you of your spiritual fruitfulness. That's, he can't rob you of your salvation, but he can do all the rest. What will happen is he'll break your fellowship with God. When your fellowship with God is broken and my fellowship with God is broken, we are spiritually in trouble. And so then let's consider a few things tonight. Number one, the objective of the false prophet. Now, some of the greatest examples of false prophets, and we're not going to turn there tonight, but they can be found in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, repeatedly, you have some men rising up and telling the, the nation of Judah, you know what, this, this fellow Jeremiah is preaching a message of doom and gloom. He is preaching that judgment is coming. But uh, one of the prophets said, within a year, Nebuchadnezzar will be gone. And they prophesied lies, the Bible says. And by prophesying lies, they taught the people rebellion. In the book of Jeremiah, by prophesying lies... They taught the people rebellion. There's two examples of that that you could look at in the, in the book of Jeremiah that are coming to my mind. Within a couple of chapters there, one of them, within a year, he was dead. God killed him. I believe that happened with both of them. They falsely prophesied and uh, challenged the message of truth, and God killed them. I read this week in my, uh, in my personal Bible reading of, of Zedekiah when the prophet Micaiah is called to Ahab, and Ahab's going to go to battle, and Jehoshaphat says, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord? And he said, Well, there's Micaiah, but he never prophesies good concerning me. And he brings him in, Micaiah uh, tells Ahab, he says, No, you're going to go to battle. God has sent a, a deceiving spirit to deceive you to think you're going to have victory. He's used your false prophets to convince you you're going to succeed when you're going to fail. And the last thing, I believe, the last thing Ahab realized when he died was this. Micaiah was right. <laughs> because he died slowly in his chariot after getting an arrow through his back and his chest. Micaiah told him what happened, but there was a prophet named Zedekiah, and he told the king whatever the king wanted to hear. He said, no, you'll go and you'll succeed. And pushing with his iron horns, he's making a big show of himself. Here's my point. Whether in Old Testament or New Testament, the primary goal of the false prophet is to get you to believe a lie. To get you to believe a lie. I watched this when I, when I traveled to Nigeria. I've shared this with you, I think, already, but... Traveling down the highway, and man, there's this big complex on my right, and a picture of some guy there, and big, big, tall letters uh, spelling out the name of his of his property. And I asked Brother Yank, I said, what is that about? He said, the man says he's a Messiah, the Messiah. And he said he's got a following throughout Nigeria, and it's a cult, and he named the name of the cult. And boy, people were falling for it. You'd drive through, you'd see billboards of men in fancy apparel, and boy, they're standing there charismatic leadership and people flocking to them. These men are getting wealthy off of the gullibility of the people. And a lot of it, if you looked at it, the average American citizen would go, what a joke. 
But I thought, you know what? I observed something while I was there. I believe the sophistication, and this is just my opinion based on what I've observed, the sophistication of Satan's deception can be paralleled to the amount of truth that people have. So, for instance, you may think, I wouldn't fall for something like that. Some joker says he's the Messiah. Well, of course, Satan knows that. So he's going to put a false prophet in our life that seems closer to the truth because we know more truth. Satan is a master deceiver, and the vehicle that he delivers false doctrine through is people. We all want to think that everybody's nice and good, but that's not the world we live in. Everybody's not nice and good. Not everybody's a sheep. There are wolves, right? And it would be a nice world if you could just trust everybody, but you and I cannot. So it is our job to prove out. So the objective of the false prophet is to deceive. That's what they live to do. They they preach lies. The health and wealth gospel is preached by false prophets. That message is not in the Bible. You live right and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's not in the Bible. And so then it's their goal and their objective is deception. Matthew 24, 11. Matthew 24, 11. The Lord Jesus prophesied what John said was being fulfilled. In Matthew 24, uh, in verse 10, he says, And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Friend, we're living right there. Many shall be offended, meaning they're going to get upset at the truth and turn aside from it, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and do what? And shall deceive many. Verse 12 says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Some of these things are prophesying what will take place during the tribulation. Some of these things in Matthew 24 are some things prophesied prior to that period, the period leading up to it. Here's what I'd say. This lines up with exactly what Paul said was taking place in 2 Timothy 3. Perilous times shall come. They have. I believe today the love of many has waxed cold because iniquity has abounded. Many people have believed lies about God, about themselves, about sin, about what it means to be saved, about how the Christians should live, and the belief of those lies has caused them to live a life of disobedience to God. If you're one of those, if you're here tonight and you're listening to the radical grace crowd, I don't know of anybody that's made more headway with independent fundamental Baptists than people that call any kind of conviction for God because you're saved legalism. I don't know of any false doctrine that's made more headway among independent Baptist churches than that false doctrine that grace somehow is God's grace is He just wants you happy. He wants you to live life the way you want to live it and that's why He saved you is so you can be happy. Now they won't quite articulate it like that but the, 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 the extreme end of it is because you're saved by grace... Nothing you do can displease God. He's pleased with you because you're in Christ and He's pleased with Christ. That in line with the Bible. How do you please God more and more if nothing you do displeases Him? 1 Thessalonians 4 1 says we're to please Him more and more. <laughs> and we're to walk unto all pleasing, meaning there may be things in our lives that aren't pleasing to Him. And the point is, that doctrine is errant, but boy, it grabs on because what it allows us to do is live a life without circumspection. Meaning, I don't have to guard my steps. I can just fly by the seat of my pants, follow my wishes, follow my heart, and I know God's not going to be upset with me. You know how many people are actually, they're saved, but day by day they are doing things that are in direct disobedience to their Heavenly Father, thinking, He's fine with me, when they are going to the woodshed. 
They actually think, God's not upset with me. Why would he be? I'm saved by grace. I'm his child. He's, he is God is loving. God is kind. He would never be upset with me. And they, they're under God's chastisement, don't even know it because they have been taught and preached to a lie and have believed it. The goal of the false prophet is to deceive us so that we commit iniquity. And as I've said, we do not lose our salvation, but boy, we lose our fellowship. And so then their objective is deception. Number two, their objective is to draw people away after themselves. Look at Acts chapter 20. The false prophet is not at all concerned about drawing people to God. He is concerned about drawing people after himself. In Acts chapter 20, Paul warns, and the word false prophet is not used here, but it is, it is the same kind of people that are being referenced. Jesus calls them wolves in Matthew chapter 7. We'll see that here in just a little bit. The apostle Paul will call them wolves here in Acts chapter 20 as well. Verse 28, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, speaking to the elders at Ephesus, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to do what? Draw away disciples after them. Something I've noticed, uh, my dad has pastored many years, and I think he would vouch for this as far as what you see as patterns. There, there are times you see the Christian life carried out in such a unique manner that you can say, I know who that person follows without them ever telling you. There are certain people, I'll, just, I'll use an example tonight, and I'm not going to be afraid to do so. I don't like this man's books. I don't promote them. I would not. don't encourage you to read them. But there are certain people, if they enter the church, they say, we don't believe in Sunday school. Sunday school divides the family and destroys the home. Let's say they follow a man named Mike Pearl, just like that. We hate Sunday school. Sunday school is about dividing the family. That's not the Bible. Mr. Pearl has a lot of disciples. I'm willing to name him because he's a false teacher. He is. If you have his books, I encourage you to be rid of them. If you know a family that's reading his books, you be kind and help them. But that man is teaching false. He has attacked the local church. He believes in sinless perfection. Made the statement that he and his wife have had a perfect marriage for 20 years. Why should I like to ask her that? Because a perfect marriage means a perfect husband, a perfect wife, doesn't it? That's his statement. Perfect marriage for 20 years. Now, my point is this. So why are you bringing it up? But here's a man who has done great damage. I've watched families leave local churches afraid that the church was destroying their family because they were disciples of Mike Pearl. And we can go on and use other illustrations. I'll just use that one as an example. When, when what I do is so unique to a man that you can't find what I'm doing in Scripture, but you can find it with him, and you can identify me by that man. I'll use one more illustration because it's an active one. If someone comes in, they said, you know what? Repentance is not necessary for salvation. Repentance is a work, and we are not saved by works. We're going to go in the middle of the tribulation, not at the beginning. I would say there's a Stephen Anderson follower. And I'd be right, not because I'm smart, but because that's their M.O. And uh, they're going to go out and get people to pray prayers, and we don't believe in repentance, and all this kind of stuff. And it is generated by hatred, not by love for the Lord. And I'd say, there's Stephen Anderson from Arizona, a man that's an independent Baptist. But he's a false teacher. 
and he's destroying, he's causing schism in churches. Those people that are his disciples are known for coming into a church, dividing churches, causing splits. So much so, I'm willing to name him and say, you know what, I haven't got the time of day for that man. Nor should you. (laughs) Amen. Because that kind of a person, you know what they're doing? They're deceivers. They cause confusion and they cause contention and all these kind of things. Those are just two examples, but the purpose would be to draw away disciples after ourselves. Watch out for any of us who are preachers, and that's what we do by vocation, who are constantly trying to come up with something so fresh and so unique that you have to listen to us to understand where it comes from. My job is to preach what you can read in your Bible so that my voice really is nothing but a second voice to confirm what the Holy Spirit of God is already saying. Yes? That's really it. I'm not, I'm not here to be original. I can't bring you anything original. I can dig in God's Bible and maybe see something you've never seen, but it's there. And if you have to hear that guy and you say, well, I follow him because, oh, no, no, hey, false teachers, their objective is to draw people away after them. Them. So then, deceivers, their objective, deception, drawing away, thirdly, disposing of, meaning they want to use you as merchandise. False teachers see God's people as something to be marketed. Look at First Peter, Second Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. God's people are to be employed in God's work, but they're not marketed. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there should be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Verse 2. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, Excuse me, by whom, uh, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. I'll stop again. That is taking place right now. The way of truth is, is mocked by people who claim to be servants of God. The way of holiness, the way of separation unto God because we love Him, because He first loved us, because we want to be effectual in His service. The way of truth, meaning the life lived in accordance with the truth of the gospel, shall be evil spoken of because of these people. If you find somebody that their teaching causes you to ridicule or dismiss or mock a Bible doctrine, that person is not of God. Verse 3 says, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words... Make what? Merchandise of you. How many of us like being used? Like being used. Meaning, making merchandise of you is you are a commodity to be spent for my gain. You are just a commodity to be spent for my own personal gain. And make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth and their damnation slumbereth not. That's something I see that I, as I said before, I think the Joel Osteens and the, and the, you know, the Crystal Palaces, some of those things are a little more obvious that that's what's going on. Using God's people to make money for personal gain. But in this world in which we live today, with the Internet as it is, there are people that are trying to gather a following, and they, it, it, it's no, it doesn't bother them if they draw you away from your local church, doesn't draw, it doesn't bother them if their influence on your life brings you to a piece of bread. As long as it makes them somebody. That's the goal of the false prophet. It is 
to draw away disciples after themselves, to dispose of God's people as they would of merchandise, and ultimately to destroy. What does a wolf do? Jesus calls false prophets wolves in sheep's clothing in Matthew chapter 7. They say, and I've heard many times, a wolf will often kill simply to kill. They'll kill an animal and leave it dead. Just leave it, not eat it. Now, they generally devour what they kill, but it is in the nature of a wolf to demonstrate its ability and power one way, by carnage. You can admire the beauty of a wolf. You can watch it run, its speed, its strength, but your what will put shivers up and down your spine is watching what a wolf can do to another creature. You know how a false prophet gets admiration? <laughs> by the destruction they accomplish in the lives of people. They're devourers. If you're saved tonight, you can't even understand that thought process. Can you imagine going into church and looking it over and thinking, who is it in here that I can take advantage of for my own benefit? You're a sheep. You don't think that way. Sheep don't think that way. We may have a hard time getting along and butt heads every now and then, but when you butt heads, you're not doing it so you can devour somebody. It's because you're going different ways, and God has to straighten us out. How do you understand there's a difference in having a disagreement and wanting to consume someone until they're gone? The wolf comes into church and says, how can I knock that one out? And how can I knock that one out? And they're subtle and they're clever and I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But the objective is this, I deceive that I may devour. And they leave carnage in their destruction. Everywhere they go, they leave carnage. And so the objective of the, of the false prophet is to deceive and draw away after themselves to dispose of people as merchandise to the destruction of those that they preach and teach to. By the way, prophet is a, it's a biblical term. It is a, a prophet is a spokesman for God. So the false prophet is really, it's, they're preachers and teachers and people who want spiritual influence in our lives. And so their objective to, de- to deceive, to draw away, to dispose of, and to destroy. Secondly, their operation. How do they go about this? They walk into the church, they say, welcome me, I'm a false prophet, I want to see what harm I can do to you by getting you to believe lies. Right? No. They come in and they look like the perfect Christian. They talk like the perfect Christian. They put on all the outward trappings of a sheep. So Jesus says, they disguise themselves. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. The false prophet makes himself look like one of us, makes us think he's just like one of us. Matthew chapter 7. How many of you have noticed how close many cults get to the truth? Oh, very close. I think of of false teachings such as Adventism. You know, I'm not really suckered by Mormonism, but I'll tell you what, Adventism is closer to the truth than Mormonism is. It's not truth. I didn't say it was. I said it's closer to the truth. Some guy like Stephen Anderson, who labels himself as a Baptist, is a lot closer to the truth than Charles Taze Russell was. And my point is this. The, the, the wolf projects and presents themselves in their conduct or what you and I can see as being a sheep. And so then they disguise themselves. Matthew chapter 7 says uh, in verse 15, Beware of what? False prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. 
excuse me, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth uh, evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. This is how we know. See, some label, that person fell away. They lost their salvation. No, they didn't. They just pretended they were one of us. An apostate was not someone who was saved and departed from the faith in the sense of they were born again. They are someone that was so close to the truth that they know it as well as you and I, but they've rejected it. Meaning they've changed their outward conformity to match up with what a Christian looks like, but inside their nature never was changed. They're still a dog. They're still a pig. They're still a wolf. They're devourers. They're filthy. Someone, you, you, you cannot separate the promotion of immoral living and false religion. False religion always produces and, and, and allows and promotes immorality. And what happens when we're under the influence of those people, that's the influence they have on us. They lead us to believe that things that are not right are actually okay and good. And so they are disguised as pure and disguised as harmless though they're as harmful and defiled as ever. So their operation is they disguise themselves. That's why we shouldn't say, you know what, I would know one if I seen him. No, the Bible says you should know them by their fruits. Some men's sins go before them and some follow after, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5. So, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I, I don't always see somebody walking through. Well, right there's a wolf. Sometimes it takes some time to watch somebody. Say, oh, look at, what, look at the effect they're producing on God's people. Look at their effect, and then you find out what they are. And so then they disguise themselves as pure. They love to demonstrate an semblance of power. Matthew 24, verse 24, and I understand this is especially speaking of, of, of the, the, the beast and his performance of lying signs and wonders, but there is, there is a movement leading up to that. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, 24, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they should deceive the very elect. We know that what will mark the, the Antichrist in the, in the tribulation period is he will perform miracles. And I say that to say this, false prophets today love to emphasize power over the word of God. They love to emphasize signs and wonders and the things they're, they're able to perform. May I say this? Just because a man can get a following of 10,000 people who, who hang on his every word does not mean he's of God. Just because he is a, well, a good speaker and a, a, a good communicator doesn't mean he's of God. Here's the judge of that man. Is he telling the truth? Does his word line up with God's word? I don't care if the man can raise the dead. If he's teaching me to deny the Bible, he's a false prophet. That's the truth of it. And too many times we get all caught up in emotion and say, well, that one has to be of God. Look at their ministry. Friend, that has nothing to do with it if they're preaching lies. The well-known preacher who preaches that the blood of Jesus Christ is of no effect. It's not necessary. Mr. John MacArthur. He teaches and misrepresents the blood of Jesus Christ. Is that true? He is such a good speaker. He is. Do you realize, I believe, much of what that man says is true? He's spot on when it comes to the charismatic movement. He's spot on with many things. But he's a false teacher when it comes to the blood of Jesus Christ. He's a false teacher when it comes to Calvinism. And you say, you're naming names tonight. I believe it's right at times to say, this is dangerous. 
Because what's being taught is in blatant contradiction to the Bible. It's not a misspeak. It's not a misunderstanding. Mr. MacArthur was challenged on the issue of the blood instead of saying, you know, I should not have said that. I was wrong. And instead he issued a three-hour defense on recording of why what he said was accurate. I've heard parts of it. Why the blood of Jesus is simply a symbol of his death. Nothing more than that. And you could read it in his commentary on the book of Hebrews chapter 9. I've read it with my own two eyes. And it makes belittles the necessity of the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. And my point is this. We do not measure whether man is of God by, by his seeming success or power or abilities to perform. It's measured by whether or not it's true. And so then they are disguised as pure. They love to demonstrate some level of power. They draw praise of men. Look very quickly at Luke 6.26. We'll try to wrap this up here pretty quickly. Luke chapter 6, verse 26. I'm, I praise God. I've been blessed to know a number of faithful, faithful men in my life. And one of the things I've seen that characterize faithful men is it grieves them to lose influence on people that they can serve and help, but they will not compromise the message for relevance. They'll say, you know what? I know that if I stand on this truth, it's going to cost me some people. It's going to cost me some influence. I'm going to be falsely represented, and it's going to cost me personally, but I've got to be loyal to God's Word. And I've watched it cost them. In contrast to, well, if we stand with this doctrine, we'll lose people. We've got to build churches. So we'll either not preach this doctrine, change it, or water it down because we're building God a church. And by and by, some of those are not false prophets. Some are those under the influence of false prophets. So not everybody does that as a false prophet. But my point is this. The false prophet is renowned at getting the praise of men. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 6, 26. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the what? False prophets. In the day of Micaiah... Who spoke well of Micaiah? Jehoshaphat. Who spoke well of the prophet Zedekiah and all the other prophets? Everybody but Micaiah, pretty much. All men spake well of the false prophets because they said what the people wanted to hear. And so then, these men love to draw disciples after themselves. We looked at in Acts chapter 20. And they live on the praise of men and all men. There are some men... Seems like all men speak well of them. Oh, wonderful. Jesus said, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. If everybody speaks well of you, you're not telling the truth somewhere. That's just the truth of it. If everybody says, That's great, that's wonderful, we're to have a good name with those without, but I'm going to tell you, if we're going to preach the truth, some are not going to like that. And so then the false prophet draws praise for himself. He denies the Lord. Now, I don't believe this means he denies the Lord's existence, meaning he contradicts the Lord himself. Look, if you would, again, at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. We're, just, we're about done. I'll give you just a couple things here. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even, what? Denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. The idea is this. The Lord Jesus shed his blood as a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of? 
the whole world. The blood that he shed was the price paid for the redemption of every man. There are those who have the audacity to deny him. They'll deny him. Well, he's Deny his existence, yes, but deny who he is. Change his identity. Deny his very words. How many of you understand that there are preachers who say, I do not preach or believe in a literal hell? They're denying the Lord. He taught it's a place where their worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. Can I say this? The person that says repentance is not necessary for salvation is denying the Lord. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. And so then that's a denial of the Lord. That's saying that's not what he said that, but that's not right. To deny the Lord is a mark of a false prophet. And then finally, as far as their operation is concerned, they develop their work privily, meaning they work in the dark. The false prophet never comes in and announces, I serve the devil, I don't believe the Bible, and I want to convince you not to believe the Bible either. It never worked that way. They present themselves to you as someone who wants to help you have a better understanding. Angels of light. Angels of light saying, I'm a messenger of light. I've got, you know, you've been taught the simple things that what the Bible says is just that simple. That's what it means. But let me help you have a better understanding. Let's, I'm going to tell you what, one of the chief tools today of, of false prophets is, well, you really can't trust the Bible in your hands. You need me to unfold what God's word really is. That's what you read, but... That's, you can't trust that. So let me help you know what God really said way back when it was given long ago. You don't have the ability to do that, so let me help you with that. They develop what they do privily. Look quickly at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll be back to 2 Peter 2. So if you're there in 2 Peter 2, you need to stay there or leave your finger there. But I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. One of the marks of false workers, false prophets, false teachers is that they creep in they do not they do not announce their arrival they are they work in the dark they work concealed a false prophet you often don't know what he believes or she believes until they until listening to them for some period of time you know what someone who preaches the truth you know what they believe you may not agree with it but you'll know what they believe second uh, timothy chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 the bible says uh, having a form of godliness that's their sheep's clothing but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which do what? Creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Boy, how that applies right now. People who have an abundance of biblical knowledge but not sure of what is true. Well, I know the Bible says this, and maybe it means this, and maybe it means this, and maybe it means this. No one can really know. Can't we know the truth? Can you know if you're saved or lost? Can you know if you're in fellowship with God or out? Can you know if you're in the will of God or not? Well, not really. I mean, it's all lost in the translation. If it's not lost in the translation, it's lost in the interpretation. Here's my tell that. Just turn them off. Amen. And ever learning, never able to come to knowledge of the truth. Again, Second Peter 2 one and two, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. They like to sneak their false doctrine in privily. Now, I've said this, and I don't want to overstate it, but 
if young people, you have someone says, you know, young person, I know your parents teach you, but, now don't tell them I said this to you, but, that person's up to no good. Anybody that wants to teach you and not tell your parents what they're teaching you is a snake in the grass. I don't care if it's a relative. I don't care if it's a fellow church member. If they love you, then I'm going to say, now I'm going to tell you something, but don't tell your mom and dad. Unless they're setting up a, private, a, a surprise birthday party for mom and dad, they're up to no good. Amen? Well, I want to tell you what I believe. I know the pastor teaches. I know the pastor preaches. And don't tell him I told you this. I don't want to cause trouble in the church. Look out. If it's right and it's in the Bible and you've got a pastor that loves God, he'd love to know it. Right. If you don't have a pastor that loves God, what are you doing in the church? What's he doing there? Uh, there's solutions for that. The point is, somebody says, don't tell the pastor, but I want to tell you what I believe. You look out. There's a snake in the grass. Uh, God called pastors watching for your soul, and anyone who doesn't want them to know what they are teaching you is not watching for your soul. They're watching for your destruction. They bring damnable heresies in privily. privily. And then finally, the outcome of these people is right here in verses 1 and 2 of Second Peter. Verse 2, it says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom of the way of truth is evil spoken of. Back in the end of verse 1, it says, Even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Throughout scriptures, you read the false prophet, they have one end. Self-inflicted, swift destruction. Meaning when God deals with them, it's boom. I believe on occasion we get to see that now. Some guy is going gangbusters and then all of a sudden, what happened to him? Sometimes they fall, but even that's self-inflicted. But much of this is dealing with when the Lord returns. When the Lord returns, it is swift destruction. There is no hope for that person. So I don't know about you, I don't want to get caught up in their swift destruction. Everything about the false prophet is destruction. Friend, it is so important tonight that, number one, we know the truth. And therefore, when someone's a false prophet, we can identify them because what they're telling is not what God said. The best defense against them is to know the truth. We finish in Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Romans 16, verse 17, a verse we're familiar with. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. Now remember what was the false prophet bringing in? Damnable heresies. That is teaching that divides God's people against one another. Okay, It's not truth that divides God's people. Truth will divide out people that aren't of God. It is error that causes schism among God's people. And heresies must be... But the Bible says, I beseech you, mark them which cause. They are, they are causing divisions and offenses contrary to the what? The doctrine which ye have learned and do what? Avoid them. 2 Timothy 3 says, from such turn away. How many know there is a difference in, in a preacher who loves the truth but has some blind spots and a preacher who is constantly promoting error? We need to be discerning as Christians. Say, you know what? Every preacher has blind spots or areas where he needs to grow, where he may not be as 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 well stated as he should be, or something he doesn't see. We all, none of us is perfect, but Jesus Christ. But I read some guys, and I read them. You know, they love God. They are loyal to the truth. And you say, but I can't agree with that because the Bible says this. But they're not promoting error. <laughs> there are those who use their voice and use their influence to get us to believe lies. And those, we must avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. Turn away. doesn't matter if they're a a vocational preacher or just someone that's influencing our life. False prophets are a real 
and present danger. And it's our duty to understand how they operate. And then when we know they're teaching error and they are false prophets, meaning when they're trying to sneak their error in, it's our job to mark them and avoid them, turn away from them because they are destroyers. Amen. God gives us that counsel and instruction for our own being, for our own well-being. And so then uh, may we be vigilant in safeguarding the influences in our life. Why? Because those are the things that draw us away from the Lord, break our fellowship with Him, and destroy our lives. Mm-hmm. 